if you have a Raptors fan in your life, I want you to get your two arms and give them a giant hug today. Just wrap your wrap your arms around them because they need it today. I know I need it. I want to reach out and hug you. What a gut punch that Embiid shot was after the Raptors finally get a game where they look like the Toronto Raptors we knew over 82 games in the regular season. We saw the defensive play come out. We saw Nick Nurse's strategy finally come to fruition. We saw them stop James Harden. He fouled out. Like It was an impressive game for most of it. And then when it came to closing time, we saw the age of the Raptors come out. We saw their lack of star power. We saw that the other team had the best player in the series. We saw the little mistakes add up to a defeat. I'm not going to look back at this game as the Sixers beat the Raptors. I'm going to look back on this as the Raptors lost the game, if you know what I mean. They had the chances to close it out, and everything combined in what I just said on, on their rotation and who they have on their roster led to them not having the ability to close. Gary missing the free throw in OT, Precious missing the free throw at the end of regulation. The inbounds play, nobody on Danny Green to block his clear pass to Embiid. Fred and Pascal combining for 24 points. If this is an older roster, if there's somebody who's taken the reins as the superstar for the Toronto Raptors, the the game ends differently, and we're looking at a 2-1 series with the Raptors with another game at home to tie it up on a Saturday. Maybe you have Scotty Barnes back. We're looking at, hey, everything we projected at the beginning of the series where it was going to be real close, this was going to be six or seven games, and the Raptors had a real shot to knock off the 76ers. We're looking at those things becoming true if the Raptors were a different team, but they are not a different team. They relied on efforts from Precious Achua, Gary Trent Jr., and OG Ananobi. Those were the three guys who stepped up last night versus the 76ers. And if those are the three guys stepping up, they're not at the point in their careers where we expect them also to close it out, to close out that game, to finish it, like the way Embiid did for the Sixers all on his own, really. It was him and Maxi just doing their thing. And Tobias Harris stepped up. Like You're making the argument right now that in this series, the 76ers have what? Maybe the top three best players on the floor? Maybe top four? Like, how long do you have to go down the list to where you get to a Toronto Raptor? And those things are the killer. If you can't definitively say you got one of the top one, top two players in a series, like, you're going to have a hard chance to win. And the only way you're going to win is if you played the game that the Raptors played for the first 60 minutes. And then when you have the mistakes they have down the stretch, it's a devastating loss. But we're going to get into all of the little details here with Aaron Rose of Sports Illustrated, who writes about the Raptors for SI. We're going to we're going to bring him on. We're going to get into all the details of the game here in a second. But I just want to say it was it's a devastating loss and there's there's a million like I named half of the things you can take away from one single game. That game 3 is going to go down in my mind as a Raptors fan. Uh in infamy, I'm not going to forget that one. 
the serendipity of Embiid making the shot in Toronto after Kawhi makes the shot in 2019. And the last time I felt like this, I'm going to be honest here and open with you. The last time I felt like this was definitely Toronto-Montreal Game 7 last year as a Leafs fan. But that game was a little different because it wasn't as instantaneous. With that game, Toronto-Montreal Game 7 last year, you knew 10 minutes in that the Leafs never had it. If you watch that game back, if you remember that moment, the Leafs didn't have it after they were down one nothing, There was at no point did it look like they were going to win that game. There was never really hope because they didn't have it that night. Their chance to win was in game six. The Raptors, if they could get any type of performance from Spicy P, if they could get Fred going, if his legs didn't look like he had, there's no hop in them, if, OG, if Gary, if OG can make a free throw, if if Precious can make a free throw, it's a whole different game. The Raptors were right there, and their limitations were truly shown in that game. Their limitations were what stopped them, and that's why this loss is a different, a little different than that Leafs loss because the Leafs had all the stars, but they didn't have it that night. The Raptors were, we now know, like it's very clear. They're undermanned with the bigger teams in this conference, in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is so deep. And when a team has a guy like Embiid, and then when Embiid's off the floor, they got Maxi, they got Harris, they got old man Danny Green still doing his thing. They got James Harden, who I I don't even have to bring up because he's he's not even their second option right now. I'm going to Maxi with their second option, but James Harden's there. And I'm not even discussing him. And he's such an important part of that team. When the Raptors go up against a team like the Sixers, despite all of our projections pre-series on how they had a shot, we see the limitations in the roster and that the superstar isn't there, that when you have a bunch of young talent, even though they're 6'9", they can guard anybody, their limitations are there and that can only carry you so far. Trying to win these games through defense, it it can work in the regular season. But when you get to the playoffs where everything is on the line, where you are on the stage where it matters most, you need somebody to step up, and they don't have that just yet. Scotty Barnes hopefully becomes that player in the future. Like The projections on Scotty Barnes are out of control after his unbelievable first year. But you guys, he's... 21 years old like we're not we're not expecting scotty in his second year in the league next year to be the man who knows like that'd be great but he's 21 give him time and it's about patience here with this raptors roster i don't want to do the projection into next year because i think we need the series to close out first and then we'll do the raptors season in review hopefully i'm I think we'll we'll do that next Thursday. I'll bring on I'll bring on another Raptors guest. We'll do that next Thursday or the Raptors recap recap if that's the way the season goes here and the Raptors don't become the first ever team to come back from a 03 series deficit. But there's a lot of work and a lot of growing to be done with this Raptors roster. I haven't even welcomed you to the show today yet. 
Welcome to the Jesse Blake Sports Report. Thank you for being here. Could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here right now, listening to this, watching this on YouTube. I appreciate you. Last night was awful. Last night was an awful, awful defeat. And I'm going to bring on Aaron Rose right now. We're going to talk some more about the tragedy that was the Embiid shot. All right, we're being joined now by Aaron Rose, Raptors reporter for Sports Illustrated. And Aaron, you were in the building, Scotiabank Arena, overtime, 0.9 seconds left on the shot clock. Danny Green inbounding. What was it like in the building when Embiid hit the shot? It felt like the air had been sucked out of the building. It was such a buildup. And all night, Raptors fans were going at Embiid. They were booing him every time he touched the ball. There were some expletives sent his way. You know, the chanting throughout the game. And of all people, for him to be the player to hit that shot. And as Raptors fans remember what happened three years ago, he was on the other side of that. He, he was the one defending Kawhi Leonard when he, in the other corner, hit that shot. And then we know he cried as he walked off the court. And for him to sort of have full redemption and come full circle and hit that shot, it was pretty incredible. And then obviously you immediately go to, okay, did it count? And I think we all knew pretty quickly that it counted. He got it off in time. And then you go to, okay, what now? And I don't think the Raptors drew up some great play, but it's not like you have a ton of time to draw up some great play. And the 76ers, as we saw down the stretch, the Raptors' offense had struggled, and the 76ers have a really good defense. So the Raptors didn't actually, I think, officially, they didn't even get a shot off. Obviously, OG put something up. It didn't actually count. I think the, the clock had expired. But yeah, a heartbreaking loss. I think Nick Nurse said it was one of the toughest losses he's had as a coach or as far as he can remember. And I think that's how the feeling was in the arena, that this was sort of their one chance. They they played toe-to-toe. They were up 17 points in a game that was very winnable. And everyone knows the odds when you're down 3 nothing. It, it has never happened before. And I don't think that this is going to be the first time it happens. What did you make of Nick Nurse's choice on defending the inbound play? Like he had no one on the ball. He had Fred under the basket. Like, do you think if he go back, he'd do it differently and have somebody guarding Danny Green? Yeah, I guess in the moment, I didn't think anything too much of it. I remember seeing Nick, like, you know how he does his whole frantic thing where he's running around and he's yelling at people. And I was up um, up top in the gondola. So I saw him running around. And I was like, what is he doing here? And I saw him motion to Fred to move around. And I think maybe he wasn't expecting whatever the 76ers did. It's obviously weird when you have your smallest guy, Fred, sort of defending the paint and in hindsight, it's probably better when you, if you were to put a big guy, you want him either defending the painter, as you remember to the last time the Raptors were in the playoffs uh, and Kyle threw that ball over taco fall. So you want the seven foot six guy defending the, the inbounds pass. The Raptors obviously don't have a guy like that, but even putting Chris Boucher there, a six foot nine guy and sort of their lanky guy to defend the pass that would have made some sense or putting him in the paint and saying, you know, you've got a big body. Let's put you in the paint at the same time though. You know, it's hard to take Fred Van Vliet off the court and there's no great place to put him, but he's really smart. He's going to direct people even in before the ball is inbounds. He's going to direct people, tell them where to go. So I think you want that player on the court. You're right. In hindsight, it's it, it didn't turn out great, but he hit a great shot. He was a turnaround three pointer, a little off balance. And I know he said he likes that spot and looking at the numbers, maybe it's sort of a high percentage shot for him, but you don't think a guy is going to hit a shot with 0.9 seconds. There was a great screen, I believe, by Tobias Max or Tobias Harris, if if memory serves. Maybe it was an illegal screen. But 
sort those things happen and and the Raptors like shouldn't have put themselves in a situation where it came down to that 0.9 but great players make great shots sometimes and I sort of think that's what happened there yeah as much as like the Raptors like we as Raptors fans want to make this about the Raptors this game but it's it's truly the Embiid game this game is about him and where do you think that shot puts his career like he might win the MVP this year I don't know if he would be on your ballot over Jokic but what do you think that shot does for his career come in the whole serendipity moment that you mentioned earlier about a revenge for the Kawhi shot right now as he said last night that it's sort of like all right that was that was one big game and basically solidifies that they will win this series but he he's not looking for a first round win he's looking for a championship and this was step one and Kawhi's shot was you know, step two for the Raptors. I think it was their second round series, but it's what do you do after that? Can you build on that? Can you win in the second round? Can you win in the third round? And obviously Joel Embiid has his eyes on a championship. It was a great confidence builder. And this is a building that has plagued him in the past, a team that has plagued him in, a pa- in the past, a coach that has plagued him in the past. And I think he's exercised those demons and he's feels a lot more confident, but you know, this isn't for him about winning first round playoff series. This is about getting further. So I think maybe there's a little bit more swagger to him, a little bit more confidence. He did not look good in the first half last night. And usually he unravels after those moments. And we've seen him get really frustrated and it plagues him the rest of the game. So he's matured since he, the player he was three years ago, and he's much, much, much better. And we saw that last night, but for him, it's going to be, what can you do in the next series? And after that, Yeah, the loss is just so devastating because of how well the Raptors defended him in that first half. It was five points he put up and then comes out in the third quarter and it's 18 and it's MVP Joel and he's out there just dominating. Uh, last thing on the the shot, the the crazy Embiid shot. I don't know if there's a, there's not a name for it yet. I don't think we have a, a catchy name for Embiid's three. But the Doc Rivers timeout. Did you get hot and bothered by him crossing uh, half court and calling that timeout and getting the ref's attention. Is that something that the Raptors should be looking at and being like, ah, if we, if the refs had actually called a tech there and it would have been our ball and they shouldn't have granted him that timeout. What did you think of that singular moment? I remember seeing him running across and being like, that's like, he's gotten really far and like that's going on. But at the same time, there was 0.9 seconds. Like he really needed to get that, uh, timeout in and and obviously the arena was rocking at that moment the Raptors or Precious Achua had Joel Embiid pressed up right sort of in a trap in a bad spot and the Raptors were really feeling it and I'm not sure the ref really knew he was trying to call a timeout I could see there was like maybe even a second or, or a split second where he's tried to call the timeout he's running over there and those things happen all the time you'll see Nick Nurse I, earlier in the game was sort of at that same sort of spot way outside where he was supposed to be at half court yelling at things. We know years ago, Celtics fans were really mad when Nick was in the corner. Was Nick on the court? Was he not on the court? But someone from the Celtics threw that pass to the corner and claimed that he thought Nick was, you know, a player on the Celtics. And that's why he he threw the pass there. So these things happen all the time. Like you didn't lose the game because Doc Rivers crossed half court and should have been called for a technical. You lost the game because you blew a 17 point lead because some of the stars didn't play well in the second half. The Raptors, you know, two best players. You lost the game because Joel Embiid hit an incredible shot and and those things happen. So like complaining about Doc Rivers running across half court and whatever, those things happen all the time. Like there were plenty of other problems and that's not one of them in my books. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's very true. It's it's just the the nature of the NBA game, I guess. The coaches run around doing whatever they want. But you mentioned like the reasons the Raptors lost. What what stands out to you? Is it 
the Fred and Pascal combined 24 points. Is it the missed Achua free throws? Is it the missed Gary free throws? Is it the lack of defense in the second half? Like, what stands out to you on the reasons that the Raptors couldn't close out the game? Well, can I just say yes to all of those? Because, you know, in a game that goes to overtime and, and is so close, you know, if one of those things goes the other way, if Precious Achua, who was incredible last night, and I wrote about that, had 20 points, was like 9 for 11 shooting, he was incredible. If he if he makes one of those free throws or two of those free throws, the Raptors win. If Fred Van Vliet nails one extra three-pointer and he had no legs and he he looked like he couldn't do anything, and some of, some of his shots were contested, but some of them were wide open. And if he hits one of those threes, Raptors win. If Pascal Siakam has two points in the second half instead of zero points in the second half, the Raptors win. And there were times where he looked like he didn't want to go at those mismatches. Now, the 76ers were certainly defending him really tough, just like the Raptors want to defend Joel Embiid and make other players on the 76ers win. The 76ers were kind of doing that at times to Pascal. They wanted, that's why you saw Precious playing so well. That's why you saw OG playing so well and Gary playing so well, because the Raptors or the 76ers were letting those guys get shots off and locking down Pascal. At the same time, though, Pascal needed to create more and there were some opportunities for him to do that. So, you know, you could go down the list. All of those things were issues. Uh, now, Joel Embiid was taking re- taking and making some really tough shots, not just the game winner in the second half, but he was hitting, I think he had a couple three-pointers, even shots that the Raptors are going to let him take. And he was just, you know, he's an MVP caliber player. And sometimes, just like Kawhi Leonard did all those years ago, sometimes players who are sort of that guy, that tier one caliber player, in the playoffs, they can just take over a game. And we saw that in the second half. So it's a combination of those things. I think you would have liked to see Pascal, you know, assert himself a little bit more. That's probably the most glaring issue for the Raptors. But if any of those things go the other way, the Raptors are, you know, it's a 2-1 series and sort of anything can happen. Yeah. And like, those are the the negatives and like the reasons that the Raptors lost. But in these losses, the only thing you can do is kind of be like, okay, what are the positives and what we can take away and learn from moving forward? And for me, OG's performance is the big thing I'm looking at here because he really stepped up that game. And like he's he's ba- been battling uh, consistently throughout the end of the regular season to see him have that type of game uh, last night versus this great Sixers team. Like I was really impressed by that performance. Whose performance uh, stood out for you? Was it Achua? Was it Gary? Was it OG? Yeah, I think in the second half of game two, we saw OG start to assert himself. And he's a player that sort of stands in the corner and hits his catch and shoot threes and doesn't do much with the ball. We remember earlier in their career, he dribbled the ball off his foot and he like he still looks at times clunky moving around. But he's starting to develop into that player that at the beginning of the season, people were saying, you know, could this guy be the breakout star? Now, unfortunately, he's so regularly injured and it's always this and that thing and something else pops up. And it's never one issue, which I guess maybe is opt- is reasons for optimism because it's not like he has a nagging knee injury like Fred maybe. But he started to assert himself. And that's really something that Raptors fans should look forward to. He's still young. He's still developing. And if he can play more on ball and create for himself, that should bode well for the Raptors down the road. I think, as I mentioned, Precious played really, really well, uh, except for those missed free throws at the end of the game. But you're seeing a guy who's essentially getting his first significant playing time in the playoffs. He didn't really do anything for, for Miami last year. And he stepped up. And I think same with Gary. Gary has been in the playoffs before. He was in the bubble. But you saw him the first two games. Obviously, in game two, we knew he really wasn't healthy, but people were saying, well, this guy can't do it. He, he's not very good. He can't be that guy. 
Turns out he was really, really sick. He had sick. He had a fever of 102. And when he was healthy, like he was last night, you know, he's not going to be the top guy on a team, but he's a guy like Norman Powell was in those playoffs years ago where he can come off the bench or he can, you know, even in the starting lineup on a very good team, drop 20 points, drop 25 points. And at times that can sway a series. If he can win you one game out of four, that can be a big difference. And he put the Raptors in a position where they, you know, could have one last game. So I think all of those guys were, had great performances and that should go well for the future. The unfortunate part is with Scotty's injury, he's not getting this playoff experience that I think that Raptors had hoped. And I think Raptors fans were really hoping that whatever happens, we just want Scotty Barnes to get playing time. And I think it's quite possible he might play in game four. Now the Raptors have some questions to say is it worth it is it worth it to play him but if he finishes the series with just whatever it was 35 minutes that's going to be disappointing for the organization right and do you sit on the side of raptors fans that say if there's even if he's cleared to play you should sit out scotty just in case something happens like the injury is not fully healed like what do you or do you sit on hey he needs to get the experience throw him in there game four even though we're probably the series is probably over here Right. I, I'm sure there's a gray area, right? It's never like he's 100% healthy or he's whatever, 0% healthy. So where is he in the middle? And I'll leave that to Alex McKechnie and the, and the injury staff or the training staff to make that decision. But ultimately, you know, if he's healthy enough to play, you want to get him those reps. He looked incredible in the first game. He proved, I guess, to the extent that you can prove in one game that he's ready for those moment, he, moments. He almost became the first player in Raptors history to have a triple-double in the playoff game. So he rose up to the call. Can he do it again? Can he do it again? And can he do it again? Again, you know, you have to do that over and over and over again to prove that you are sort of a playoff, you know, that kind of guy who can step up in the playoffs. And I think we'd like to see him do that and get in game four. That being said, if it comes at the risk that, you know, he misses months of offseason training, that's certainly not worth it because the offseason is so important for these guys. He's going to get into the Raptor system and we see the jumps that these players make. Pascal Siakam has taken a huge jump. All these players take jumps in the offseason and to risk that for Scotty Barnes is certainly not worth it. But where he stands or where that ankle is in the middle, I can't tell you. I actually thought he was going to play in game three. You know, all I saw was him walking by me the other day. He obviously wasn't in the walking boot and he wasn't walking with a limp. So I said, all right. He can walk. Maybe he can play a basketball game. Obviously, I was wrong. But where he is for game four, if he's clear to go, it's important. But I certainly wouldn't risk it because if there's any chance that he's going to miss months of time in the offseason, that, that's certainly not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think Nick Nurse kind of teased that he'd be there for game three and everyone was kind of like having their fingers crossed. But I think he might have been just trying to throw off the Sixers on like the scent of if Scotty will be there. Um, we we don't expect the Raptors to become the first team to ever come back from an 0-3 deficit. So what do you think Masai and Webster and Nick are looking for uh, at these last couple games, whether it's one game left or two if they lose in Philly, and then heading towards the offseason? What are they looking at the team? like? Where What do they take from this playoff run here? Well, I think that obviously if, if Scotty can come back, they want that continued growth from the young guys to play in these moments. I think you want to see does Pascal Siakam respond to the way he played and the criticisms he's getting right now? Is he going to come back and is he going to, you know, fall flat in game four in what is actually a do or die game? Or is he going to come out and prove that, you know, those criticisms were unfounded and he's never going to be, I don't put him in that category as a true number one, number one guy like Kawhi Leonard was, but I still think he can be a number two on a championship team. If you put Kawhi Leonard on this team, I think this is a championship level team. So we just have to recalibrate the way we think about him. 
But, you know, his response from game three to game four, I think, is going to be telling. And then what was really interesting about this series is, you know, the Raptors are trying to do something totally different. They want all these six foot nine guys. They want to be versatile. And we've seen so far that when you play one of those very, very few seven foot guys who are, you know, the best players in the league, you're going to have trouble. Now, a lot of teams have moved away from that. You don't see a lot of Joel Embiid's, but there are a few of them. Jokic, Giannis to a certain extent. You know, even Jonas Valanciunas is this sort of big, big that can take over a game. And I think so far this series, it said, maybe this strategy doesn't work. I'm not willing to write it off because it worked well in the regular season. But unfortunately, we've only had four games to sort of make a judgment on that. The Raptors haven't been fully healthy for those full games. But to me, this was a series where we could look at it and say, okay, does this work in a playoff series against a guy like Joel Embiid? And so far, the answer is no. All right. And you got 12 roster spots. Maybe reserve one for the guy who's just there to defend the Joel Embiid's of the world. You know, there's no reason you can't just tuck that guy away on your roster and have him as a secondary option. Well, well, I was joking earlier in the season, like, could you sign Marcus Saul and like play him in, in like these five games a year where you play, you know, the 76ers or just like a baseball team? Could you have the lefty in the bullpen that you only call in in these situations to get these guys out? So could you do something like that? I don't see the Raptors signing, you know, some old seven footer and bringing him in because that's not their identity. They want to play this style of basketball. But is there a way to make this style of basketball work? We've seen at times we saw it in the first half of the last game that the Raptors were pestering Joel Embiid. They were forcing it five points, I think, and four turnovers. So the Raptors, when they play their brand of basketball, it can work. The problem is there are some guys that are really, really good. And we saw in the second half. So there's a balancing act. I think if Precious takes a step forward, and I think if there's growth with this team, I'm not saying this doesn't work. I'm saying for this series right now, it hasn't worked. Now, it could work down the road. And I think that's the question that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster have to ask themselves is, are we going to stay dedicated to this strategy? And I think, you know, they know basketball better than any of us. And I trust their answer. But I think this experiment has been really, really interesting to see. And this series has really highlighted what it's like going up against a guy like Embiid. Yeah, we've, we've truly learned a lot. Like, I assume the coaching staff and the managers have learned a lot. But as Raptors fans, like, we've learned a lot from this series. And one of the saddest realizations, you you briefly mentioned it there, is that Pascal's probably the the number two on an actual championship team unless he takes another leap and grows into that number one we kind of have to accept here that we're gonna have to search for the number one superstar for the raptors and that siakam's gonna be the number two whether it's barnes or whether it's somebody they bring in or somebody else on the roster who matures into that guy but it looks like the raptors have a number two here yeah but at the same time like how many guys are there? Most teams only have number twos. There's only, you know, a handful of guys, five guys in the league. It's so hard to get that number one guy. And, you know, maybe Scotty grows into that. But even that is, you know, a really high ask for a guy who might win the rookie of the year. But there can only be like five or six, you know, number one guys in the league at any one time. And if you don't have one of those guys, you're sort of stuck in that second tier waiting for an opportunity to get that number one guy. So, you know, to, to look at it and say, oh, woe is us. We can't get a number one guy. Well, most teams are looking at you and saying, we would love to have a player like Pascal Siakam. We would love to have, you know, even a number two guy. It's really hard to get that guy. So I think Raptors fans have to remember that. Remember how hard it was to get Kawhi Leonard all those years where you banged your head against the LeBron James ceiling because you had DeMar DeRozan, who wasn't that guy. It's really hard to get that guy. And Pascal Siakam, you know, was on my hypothetical third team all NBA ballot. But is he a top 15 player in the league? If you take positions out of it, I'm not sure. 
He's certainly not a top 10 player in the league. And he's not one of those five or six guys that on any given night can get you 30 points and win a championship for you. So, you know, it's really hard to get those guys. And I think Raptors fans have to take a step back and say, Pascal Siakam is an incredible player. He's not in that category, but most guys aren't. That's such good perspective. And like our little Raptors hearts last night after the uh, Sixers rap games, watching DeRozan go off. We're like, oh, playoff DeRozan showed up. It's good. It's good to see that. So that was fun. Um, but uh, closing it out here, what are your expectations for the rest of the NBA playoffs? How do you see this moving forward? What do you see out of Brooklyn and Boston and in the West? Who are your picks for going to the finals and how do you think it's going to play out here? Just well, unfortunately, we've end. already seen what injuries can do to the playoffs, right? We have Middleton's now injured. We have Devin Booker's injured. The Raptors know what happens when Scotty Barnes gets injured. And, and, you know, this series could have been different if Gary was healthy and Scotty was healthy. So, you know, maybe the Raptors make this series more interesting. So it's so hard to predict. You know, I, I probably looked at the Suns as a team that was really going to go far in the playoffs and I still do but you never know what's going to happen if Devin Booker doesn't come back at 100% or I think he's out for one or two weeks so that's still a team I'm looking at over in the west but everything can change as for the east you know I, I was sort of looking at another matchup of last year's finals maybe that's the chalk pick but now Middleton complicates that question you know I never believed in Brooklyn and I think right now those my skepticism is is being proven correct but uh, Boston looks like a really good team. And if they can get Robert Williams back sometime soon, I, I, I think he's coming back in the second round of the playoffs. And they were basically the best team in the league in the second half of the season. And they've proven a, against Brooklyn that they remain an incredible team. So maybe now I'll flip it and say a Boston Suns finals. But, you know, Boston's a team that I don't think anyone wants to play, especially if Robert Williams comes back and he gets back to that being, you know, one of the best defensive players in the league. They have him. They have Marcus Smart, who is literally the defensive player of the year. Add that to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And you've got a team I don't think anyone wants to see. So right now, this could change in an hour. We could get an injury update and everything could change. But maybe I'll take the Celtics. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like that pick. I'm uh, I'm leaning towards the Celtics as well. That's uh, Aaron Rose, Raptors reporter for Sports Illustrated, joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Final piece of business here, Raptors fans. Is this behavior acceptable? Ambassador or ambassador? everybody listening that was a tiktok by a user named dr shan x dr s h a n x it is of drake leaving the arena with joel Embiid, heading into the locker room with him smiling and laughing head to the youtube video if you want to watch it head to this part of the podcast in the youtube video and you'll see what i'm talking about is that type of behavior acceptable from the global ambassador should drake not be siding with the raptors and their fans and be devastated after a dramatic loss like that should we not be a little upset that he is laughing and joking with the guy who just broke our hearts can you not just do this in private why did you have to do it out in the open on the court for everybody to see for it to go viral on social media let me know if you think that's acceptable behavior from the quote global ambassador of the team i'd love to know that's it for us today i'm sorry that i'm gonna have to delay my special top five episode i have like three top five lists 
that I'm going to do all in one episode. I'm going to bring on a guest that's very familiar to you. I'm going to bounce my top fives off of them. One is top five most difficult things to do in a game in the eight sports. In the eight, I'm calling them the eight major sports. Top five most difficult things to do in game. My other list, I'm going to save it. It's it's hockey related. It's, we're getting tons of hockey content as we get into the playoffs here. This isn't just Blue Jays and Raptors podcast. We will have hockey content for you hockey fans. I know that's why you're here for my incredible hockey takes. Because you don't get enough of them on the Steve Dangle podcast. Anyways, that is it for me today. Thank you for being here. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here right now listening or watching this. I appreciate you for doing so. I will see you next week on Thursday night, right back here. Go listen to a new episode of this Chris Johnston show. Participate in CJ Fan Fridays on social media where you could win a $100 gift card to the SDPN shop. Watch the CJ show for all of the details on that. Check out an all-new Steve Dangle podcast dropping on Friday. It's a lot of fun. And new Agent Provocateur coming very soon. Enjoy. Have a fantastic weekend. I'll see you next week. <laughs>